So this morning we'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. And just seeing really how full the blessing is that God has given us. Now our our world generally assumes that someone who is wealthy is going to live up to their standard of living, whatever they can afford. And that's generally the way that it works. But sometimes it doesn't. There was a, a MacArthur tells of a an uh, article the LA Times wrote of an elderly couple who were found dead in their apartment because of malnutrition. They basically just didn't eat enough. And yet, when the investigators looked at their apartment, they found bags of cash, $40,000 worth of cash. And yet they died of malnutrition. Now, there's certainly a major disconnect in their thinking. I don't know all the circumstances, but there's a disconnect between their resources and what they actually used in their lives. Now, many Christians today live like that elderly couple. They have all the blessings uh, that God has given them in the heavenly places. We're going to look at all that. But they don't tap into that. They live as spiritual paupers. They live as spiritual beggars, as spiritual homeless. This, today, Christians live similarly destructive lives. Just as it's destructive not to eat when you have the resources, you could go buy food. It's destructive not to understand the blessings we have been given and allow that to help you navigate your life and your walk with Christ. Now, why do people do this? Why is it that they're not living in light of God's rich blessings with which he has blessed his people? Think about your own life. Why, In times of your life, none of us are perfect. In times of your life where you did not remember these things, why is it that you didn't, didn't connect into this? Why you didn't remember this? No, one is just ignorance. Ignorance of God's blessings. There are people who have heard the basics of the gospel and very little else. So perhaps someone has not heard of the blessings that God has abundantly poured on his people. Ignorance for us in a Western nation like ours is really a a, a sin because we have so much richness in the access to the word of God. There's no excuse for not knowing. But still, even in our society, we cannot assume that everybody has heard. We cannot assume that everybody has um, heard this passage and understands it. So, there, But it is possible, believers, someone could be saved and just never heard this passage. And never have they've read the passage, but never given it careful thought. You know how it is. You're reading the scriptures and you're going by and you just don't pause enough or, or spend enough time considering the passage of scripture. But another reason why people live as spiritual paupers, so I talk about people, Christians live as spiritual paupers, is because at times there is disbelief of God's blessings. So you have ignorance of God's blessings, but you also have disbelief of God's blessings. Oh, they've read passages like Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, and and they would give some assent to believing it, but they really don't navigate their lives by it. It's like it's just, it's this like, uh, an idea or truth that stays out there, but they, they don't believe it really applies to them. 
and and in some sense there's a disbelief that that's actually true or the or uh, and that leads to the third reason that is misunderstanding of God's blessings so ignorance of God's blessings disbelief of God's blessings misunderstandings of God's blessings so they've misunderstood what God's spiritual blessings really mean they, you know we use the term blessing a lot but do we really know what it means what are we looking for when we ask God to bless us well most people think about well I'd like to have a good marriage. I'd like my kids to be healthy and live long enough to see some grandkids or great grandkids. And, you know, we just put all sorts of earthly uh, definitions to what it means to be blessed. And when that doesn't happen, then when you read a passage like this, it says, we're given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You're like, I don't feel very blessed. My health is failing. Uh, my spouse died. I don't have many friends. It, it, we, we begin to look at these things, and so there's, there's a sense of which the misunderstanding and the disbelief kind of combine into maybe a, a perfect spiritual storm where these things don't have the impact. The truths of Ephesians 1 don't have the impact in our lives the way that they should. Now, what's the harm of all this? What's the harm? You know, if, if God has given these things and they're true and they're going to be true, why is it so harmful? For us not to live in light of these blessings. Well, first of all, disbelief of God's blessings is a sin that must be confessed and forsaken. And and I want to be, be very clear here. We're not talking about the disbelief of an unbeliever. There are times as a believer where you read something in God's word and you don't believe it. And what I'm saying is you, it's not that you're defiant about it. But it's like that truth you're not applying into your life. Uh, take, take for example, um, the the admonition to not be anxious about anything. Do you really believe that? Well, yes, you believe it like I believe it. It's in God's word, you believe it. But do you believe it in an anxious-inducing situation? There's a tendency not to believe it. Right? And so that's what I'm talking about. It's it's not that we want to disbelieve, but but disbelief sometimes mixes into our life, where and we have to work to root that out, so that we don't become anxious. And in this case, we need to work, we need to root out disbelief of God's blessings, so that we live our lives in light of the richness which He has given us. And we're going to talk about some of the practicalities at, at the end of what what that looks like, how that impacts us. So disbelief is a, is a sin that we just that we need to confess and forsake. We need to pray to God and say, Lord, help us. Help my weak faith. Help me, Lord. Strengthen my faith. But it's also harmful this walking um, in ignorance or, or in um, kind of with misunderstanding or disbelieving or being ignorant of God's blessing is also harmful because ignorance of God's blessings will hamper your spiritual growth. You need the whole word of God to be a mature Christian. I think it was J.C. Ryle that said, you need the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And Ephesians is part of that. God has given it to us. It wasn't just that the Holy Spirit gave Paul some wonderful news to, you know, just kind of just give us a little bit of encouragement. No, it's actually truth that we need in order to be mature Christians 
in Christ. It's part of the training and correction, um, rebuke and, and training in righteousness that we need. It is scripture and we need it. So ignorance of God's blessings will hamper spiritual growth. And misunderstanding God's blessing leads to doubt. So if you're looking for your best life now, and it doesn't happen, then you grow discouraged. And so you read Ephesians 1, like this passage that we're looking at, particularly in verse 3, and you just think, well, I'm I'm not sure what to think of that anymore. Because my life is pretty messy. My life is pretty difficult. That discouragement sets in, uh, which springs from all the trials and difficulties that you face. So let's look at the positive. What are the benefits to properly understanding the, the, the blessings that God has blessed us with, that he has given you in Christ? Well, first of all, proper blessing is given, is given to God. Basically, proper, proper blessing is given to God when we understand the blessings he's given to us. Now, I'm using the word in two different ways. But his blessing that he gives to us is to be reciprocated with our blessing of him. Now, it, we're going to get into what, what does it mean to bless? Again, we don't use the word a lot. But essentially, it means to speak well of. But when God blesses his people, his words take on life, much like his words created the entire world. So when he speaks something good toward us, it happens. And it results in benefits towards us. Well, we bless God. We have nothing to give him that he doesn't already have. We give him praise. But it's more than just praise. This whole entire passage from verse 3 to verse 14 is, is written to induce praise. But blessing is, a, is related to praise, but it's a slightly different word than praise. So to bless implies an aspect of, of worship that goes deeper than mere praise. Praise is is of the lips, whereas blessing is really from from the heart. They're related and they're difficult to separate, but they are slightly different. So proper blessing is given to God. He deserves and is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our worship. And so when you understand the blessings that he has given to you, then your your blessing of him, your worship of him, your praise of him increases. But another benefit of understanding the blessings that he has given us is that Christians tap into the rich resources of truth they've been given so that they can confidently navigate the difficulties of life that God brings their way. So understanding God's blessings and keeping those in mind when your marriage is struggling. Or when your health begins failing. Or when you lose your job. Or when your child is deathly sick. Understanding the blessings that God has given helps you to be steadfast in Christ and navigate those storms of life. Thirdly, Christians live confidently in Christ without doubt that God really loves them. When you understand the blessings that God has given us in Christ, then, then we understand that God truly loves us. We don't have those doubts. So you're not looking for the, for the, the day-to-day blessings as an indicator of whether God loves you or not. You're not looking to good health 
your good health or somebody else's good health as to evidence that the Lord loves you. You understand that he does love you and he's already given that to you in Christ. So knowing and understanding, believing all the spiritual blessings that the blessed one has blessed his people with helps enable them to fulfill their primary purpose in life. What's your primary purpose in life? Sorry, this microphone is bugging me and it might be bugging you by all the breathy noise. So, sorry. What is your main purpose in life? What is it? Your your primary purpose in life is really God-focused, not self-focused. Um, let me ask you the different the question a different way. What is the chief end of man? Perhaps some of you are more familiar with it than that. What is the chief end of man? But but to glorify him, to glorify God, and what? Enjoy him forever. That's right. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In order to do that, you need to remember the blessings that he has given. Because life is difficult sometimes. You can grow discouraged or doubtful or even be a little bit disbelieving of, of, of what of the blessings he's given you. And therefore, that then diminishes your praise. That then diminishes your enjoyment of God. But when we understand what he's truly given us, it helps us to praise him and to enjoy him. So this morning, we're just going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. One verse. I could not get past it. All right, we looked at verses 3 to 14, all in one big chunk. And some of you are asking, are we going to go back? And yes, we're going to go back. And we're not going to go get in a hurry. There's a, there's a lot here. But I do want you to keep the, the bigger picture in mind as we slow down a bit and look at the individual verses. So before we get into verse 3, I'm going to read verses 3 to 14. So we'll keep that bigger picture in mind. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love by predestining us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he graciously bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our transgressions according to the riches of his grace, which he caused to abound to us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in him, for an administration of the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth in him. In him we also have been made an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, to the end that we who first have hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance unto the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. Let's not forget that. So in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul announces a fullness of blessing 
fullness of spiritual blessing that God has given his people to help induce their praise and help stabilize their spiritual walk with him so that you glorify God and enjoy him in everything you do. Now, there's going to be two main points this morning. The first one is that God is the source of every spiritual blessing for his people. This is a basic truth, so it's I'm not we're not breaking new ground here, but we are reinforcing what the scripture says. God is the source of every spiritual blessing for his people. It's not found anywhere else. It's not found in your hobbies, it's not found in your work, it's not found in your family, it's not found here on earth, it's not found in any pleasures on earth, it's found in him. Paul begins this this verse by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we're confronted with the word blessed. It's the first word he used. Blessed be God. Now, blessed is a, again, it's a word we use frequently. We use it in our prayers. Someone sneezes and you say, God bless you. Uh, But do we really know what we're saying by that word? I find that it's a word we use frequently. But it's a little, it's like you know it when you see it, but it's kind of hard to define. But we're going to try and do our best to, to define it this morning. What do, we, what, do we, what do we ask for when we ask God to bless us? And even before that, what, do we, what is the Apostle Paul saying when he says that, that God is blessed? Remember that Paul begins this 202-word cacophony of praise with the word blessed and ends it with praise. Right? That's bookending for you. The word blessed isn't the same word as praise, but if we recognize God as the blessed one, it will result in praise. And all through the middle of that, Paul gives us reasons to praise God. Now, the word blessed is actually what's called a verbal adjective. It's related to a verb to bless, but it's an adjective. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, this adjective is only used of God. Only used of God. So there's, there's the, when, when the scriptures do that, that's telling us something. God is the only blessed one. Now you might be thinking, what about Mary? You know, there's a phrase in there. We just read it with Christmas, you know, just not that far along. We read it in Luke 2, and Mary is called blessed. Actually, it's actually a participle that's using, used there. So I won't get all the dynamics of the language, but there's a difference between Mary being blessed and God being blessed. So when we're, we talk about blessed be God, he's in a different category to start with all by himself. Now, what, is, what does the word actually mean? Well, the word bless, the Greek word from bless, is a compound Greek word that basically is made of two parts. It means to speak well of. Speak well. So in its essence, that's what it means. And we use it this way. At a funeral, you have a eulogy that... English word is based on the Greek word that we're looking at today. Eulogy, to speak well of. Um, yet when the word, so when we use the word to speak of someone, we're, uh, of, of a human being, it means to speak well of. When we use it of God, when we bless God, we speak well of him. That is, we worship him and glorify him, we praise him. But when when God blesses, it's something different. Right? He extends benefits to his people when he blesses them. It's not merely words that he blesses with. Now, the essence of of what Scripture is saying here, when Paul 
and the Holy Spirit describe Paul as blessed is this, that God has a absolutely full reservoir of all strength and power and might and wisdom and everything that his people need so that he can lavish blessings upon them. It's it's implied in that word to be blessed. And if you go do a word study on blessed, you'll see that this, this word, the New Testament usage, is based on even the Old Testament usage of this. But God is the one who has a full reservoir of everything his people need. And therefore, when he dish out, dishes out, he can extend it lavishly. And when he dishes out, it's like taking a cup of water out of the ocean. You don't even notice any diminishing of the level of the ocean. You can even take you know, a huge, massive bucket out of the ocean. You can't see any difference in the, in the level or go to Lake Erie and do the same thing. This is what we're talking about. God being the blessed one, is he's that full reservoir of everything that his people need. And, and therefore, he is the source of all the blessing that they need. Now, if you look at verse 3, you'll see, blessed be the God. And let's just stop there a minute. Blessed be, the, the, the little word be is, is italicized because it's not there in the Greek. But it's needed in English to try to create a smooth sentence. Literally, it's blessed, blessed the God and Father. And that's often, in Scripture, it's common for the, that verb to be uh, omitted in words of praise. In other words, the listeners would insert it, and that's why your translators insert it here. Paul is not saying, uh, calling us to bless God here. He's beginning with the indicative. Remember that Paul moves from the indicative. You may not be familiar with that term, but the indicative it just means truths. Truths about God. And that's what we're looking at. Paul moves from the indicative in chapters 1 to 3 in Ephesians before he moves to the imperatives, which is in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians. So Paul is building a, a foundation or base of knowledge of truth that you need to know in order to live for Christ, to, to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. So the, the fact that, that God is the blessed one is something you need to know in order to, to live your life for the, the glory of God. Now. God is blessed. And this is reiterated in many places in Scripture. For example, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. There he's, he's talking about uh, sinners who just listen to him. He says, For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So he's talking about those who deny, deny God, who say that God doesn't exist. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And Paul adds this description to our creator. He says, who is blessed forever? Blessed forever. And then adds this, amen, which means let it be. God is blessed forever. That means that when he gives out all the blessings that he gives us, every spiritual blessing, he has not depleted his resources at all. He has such a richness to give out. Uh, listen to Zechariah's prophecy after the birth of his son, John the Baptist, and from Luke chapter 1, verse 68. He says, Blessed be the God of Israel. Blessed be the God of Israel. Same, same kind of phrase. 
God is giving, is blessed. And, and in that context, he's going to talk about the blessing that God gives, but he's just declaring God is blessed. And these New Testament usages, and we can look at others, follow the Old, Test, Old Testament pattern of declaring God's blessedness, that he is blessed. And, and we read from Psalms today, and I won't go to the same Psalm that, that we went to this morning, but the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms are organized into five books. So you have five books, and these are intentionally structured, five books within the main book of, of Psalms. And it's interesting that at the end of every one of these ends with praise. And in fact, at the end of the four books of the Psalms, the first four, they all end with the phrase of blessed be Yahweh. For example, Psalm 41, verse 13. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Psalm 72, verse 18, which is the end of book two. Blessed be Yahweh God, the God of Israel. Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be Yahweh forever, amen and amen. Then Psalm 106, verse 48 near the end of book four. Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise Yah. At the end of book five, you don't get the same phrase, but it's interesting that Psalm 150, every line of it begins with praise, 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 praise. Why? Because God is the blessed one. And so it's not a surprise that, that Paul begins this little, uh, little snippet, or let's say this verse, or the, this, this long cacophony of praise, that he begins it with the foundation of praise of God, and that's that he's the blessed one. He's the blessed one. The, the declarations that, that Yahweh is blessed are often given in a context where there is a blessing flowing to his people, in which Yahweh rescues his people, or he gives them success, or he provides some benefit to them. For example, let me read to you uh, some examples from this. First uh, Samuel chapter 25, verse 32. This is when uh, David uh, it was going uh, to basically kill Abigail's husband for uh, refusing to care for his men. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. You see what, what, what David is doing. David recognizes that God sent Abigail to bring a, a peace offering, if you will, to appease his men, to keep David from doing something sinful. And it would have been sinful what David would have been doing. But God is the one who sent. And so David recognizes that God sent Abigail to intervene and he says blessed be God because he's done this he's done what he sent Abigail to prevent me from doing something I would have regretted and something sinful against God uh, Exodus 18 verse 20 this is where Jethro was talking to his son-in-law Moses so Jethro said blessed be Yahweh who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians so Jethro is looking at the testimony of Israel, of Moses, of what Moses told him happened. And he's saying, this happened because Yahweh is the blessed one. 
these resources, these benefits flow were given to you because God is the one who is so full of blessings that he gave those to you. It's not simply thanks. Thanks would be in, included in this. But he's, saying, he's making a declaration of God's characteristic. It's a key characteristic of God that he is the blessed one or that God is blessed. Now, 1 Kings uh, chapter 1, verse 48. Here we get the same phrase or similar phrase from King David uh, near his death. He said also, and also King said, Thus blessed be Yahweh, the God of Israel, who grant who has granted one to sit on my throne today while my eye my own eyes see it. He knew that was a blessing, but he knew that blessing comes from the blessed one. And so he declares, again, a key characteristic of God is that he is the blessed one. Uh, we see the same thing in Luke chapter 1, verse 68, which I already read to you, but I just read the first part. Blessed be the God of Israel, for he visited and accomplished redemption for his people. Blessed be Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh. And, and so we're going to see the same pattern in Ephesians. Paul's declaring that God is blessed, and then he's going to relay the benefits that, that God has blessed his people with. Now, when, when uh, Paul uh, talks about God being blessed, Notice he's, he's quite specific. And here we'll just look at, at the next phrase. Um, our culture tolerates God talk. You can talk about God in the workplace. You can talk about God in, in uh, Medina Square. You can talk about God on the University of Akron. You can talk about God in a lot of different places as long as you don't define who that God is. And everybody can make God into their own image. And they can say, well, you pray to your God and you pray to your God. And of course, we only know there's only one true God. But Paul doesn't do that here. He just doesn't say, blessed be Yahweh. There's more specificity, more uh, specific detail given in the New Testament that we serve a triune God. And this God is not just God in a general sense, but he is the living God. And this living God is the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul identifies God. Not just as God, but as God and as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is describing God as the Father while denoting the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Now, again, we're touching up on things that are hard to understand. The, the Bible clearly affirms the Trinity. Trinity. The Trinity is one of those words that doesn't appear in the Bible, but is absolutely true. So. The Trinity here is what we're pushing up against, trying to understand. I say pushing up against, pushing up against the understanding. We're not resistant to the idea, but we're trying to understand something that is very difficult to understand. So the way that you do that is accept what is written in the scriptures. And at times we cannot go beyond what is written. God is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ in a way that that is has nothing to do with biology. The father was the father from eternity before he created. He was the father before there was an incarnation. He was the father and mystery of mysteries. The son has always been the son. He has always been the son long before the creation, long before in the incarnation. He was the son. The second member of the Trinity has always been the son. So, again, we're not talking biology as the Mormons would have you to believe. We're talking about Trinitarian truth, about how God has revealed himself to us. 
These things are difficult to understand, but but we can understand what has been revealed to us. Uh, if you if you have questions about about why the the father is called the father, why the son is called the son, there there's intention with that, and you want to understand the Trinity better. I referenced some sermons I did on the Trinity back in May of 2022, that I think would be helpful to you. We need to understand that our God, the true living God, is not a God of our creation. Right? That's proven by the fact that we can't even understand fully who He is. We can understand what the Word of God has revealed to us, but there's not anybody on earth that can truly uh, comprehend the, the mystery of the Trinity. There's one God, yet three persons, but not persons like you and I think about it, where they're totally independent. They are Separate persons and yet one God. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Father. The Son's not the Spirit. The Spirit's not the Father. Yet there is one God. So as we go through Ephesians 3, verses, chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, we, there is a Trinitarian structure to this. There's the work of the Father, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And here, Paul is identifying the God that does all this. And this is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the exact phrase, this is the exact phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is used also by Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.3. Listen, 2 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he continues, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. So you see the connection there. He's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What are the benefits? He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. So all comfort, all mercy is a blessing flows from the one who is truly blessed, and that is God. The the phrase is also used, uh, the phrase, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, is also used by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Time and time again, when the scriptures call God blessed, it gives you a benefit. It's saying this benefit flows to you because God is the blessed one. So understand that God is fully capable of giving you a full blessing. As we as we read and as we'll see, it's a blessing that that is in, in the heavenlies and it's every spiritual blessing. I want you to think of that in the sense of fullness, fullness. There's nothing lacking that God has not given you. He's given you the fullness of blessing for you to walk with Him, to uh, live for His glory, and to enjoy Him forever. So understand that God is fully worthy of our blessing and praise. Even if, even if God didn't give us blessings, He's still the blessed one. And that's what we need to understand. He has chosen by his own free will and by his love to pour out his blessings upon us. He didn't have to do that. He was the blessed one. Whether we were to ever experience his blessings or not doesn't change his characteristic. It's like saying God is love. Was he love from eternity? Yes, he was love from eternity. He didn't have to create to be love. He didn't have to redeem us from our sins to be love. He was love from eternity. So God is the blessed one from eternity. He's the source 
of every spiritual blessing. Point two, God has given us every spiritual blessing to his people. So God is the source of every spiritual blessing that God has given. It's one thing to be the source. It's another thing to give it. God has chosen to give you every spiritual blessing. Notice what Paul says there. That second phrase It is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So let's just kind of walk through. Paul's going to give further definition to these blessings in the verses following verse 3, but I just want us to meditate on what he's saying in verse 3 this morning. First, the, the, look at the meaning of God's blessing. What does it mean that he has, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing? Well, when, what, we're, what the scriptures are saying is that God has given us every benefit that we would ever, ever possibly need. And, and understand that God has given this to us. And it's not just words. You know, understand when God speaks words, things happen. Things are created. God speaks and things happen. So when God speaks good toward us, he that means that benefits flow to our lives. And God is the blessed one who is able to supply whatever benefit that you and I need to, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And, and understand these blessings, we'll talk about it, that they're, they're not just in, out there somewhere. They're, they're to be tangible, to help you navigate your life in the icky sticky and the difficult times of life. Right? It's not just theoretical, pie in the sky type blessing. This is reality. So he, the one who is full, has given us a fullness of blessing. It's interesting that after creating Adam and Eve, after creating the world, the first interaction that God has with Adam and Eve is this, Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. So there, God's blessing meant fruitfulness of the womb and increase in people and dominion over the earth. God always connects his, the fact that he is blessed. He flows that to his people in benefits and blessings. And in a spiritual basis, that's what God does for us. These blessings are spiritual. right? They're given by God himself. And for a fullness of spiritual living. Now, what? who is the object of this blessing? Well, I've said it repeatedly. It's not a mystery. It's believers. And if you're in Christ today, he's given these to you. And notice the pronoun us. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul is including him with the, with the readers, of the recipients of his letter. And remember that he's writing to the saints who are at Ephesus. The saints there meaning all the believers, not some special class. Who have of, of believers who have attained some certain level of, of holiness. That's all believers. So God has blessed us, that is, every, every believer with his blessings. God has the means to give all of his children benefits. I mean, if you're very wealthy and then you have children, you have to divide that between the children and kind of the inheritance is split. But again, God's resources don't work that way. He can give every spiritual blessing to every child of God, every person who believes in Christ, and again, be his resources be undiminished. And you think, well, how does that how does that work? Well, there's times at which 
we can't understand God. If he could, he wouldn't be God, would he? How did, how did Jesus bless the bread when he was feeding the 5,000 and it just kept producing? You know, there, when Jesus was giving out the bread, his disciples were giving out the bread, it didn't diminish the supply, it increased it. That's how God works. So when he gives out a blessing to every spirit, to every, every person who is in Christ, it's undiminished. His resources are undiminished. And he gives it to you. And, and I, I emphasize this because others have not received this. You understand, this is a special blessing. This is special grace. This is not common grace. Common grace means that grace that flows to everybody. Now, common grace is like the snow or the rain which falls in the ground that's needed for the crops. Common grace is the sun. Common grace is the, the crops that grow in the fields which we rely upon. Right? That's given to the righteous and the unrighteous. That flows to everybody. And God blesses His creation even today in that way. This common blessing. What we're talking about here is a very specific blessing. But notice next that, that what Paul says, he, that he blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, look at the word blessed. Right? If you understand English at all, you understand it's a past tense. Paul is speaking of something that's like a done deal. This isn't future. God's going to give you this. Now, we know there are things that God's going to do. He's going to draw us to himself. He's going to glorify us. He's going to fully sanctify us, remove all stain of sin. So are there future actions of God? Paul isn't saying that God's all done. What he's saying is this decision to bless. He has blessed us already. The full ramifications of that have not, are yet to be seen. But he has blessed us. It's a done deal. It's already accomplished. And, and we'll see that uh, in verses 4 to 14. You'll look at all the past tense actions in those verses themselves. It's done. This is what God's done. So it, again, the emphasis is on stirring you to praise. Why? Because these things were done before you had anything to do with it. And we'll see more of that in verse 3. This is God's doing and it results in his praise. And, and what is this content? Paul just doesn't say every blessing. He says every spiritual blessing. Now, it's very easy in our minds. We hear the word spiritual and you might think, well, okay, we're physical here. Spiritual is up there with God. Right? But I think there's a mistake to do that because what you're doing is you're taking those blessings and you're putting them way out in, in heaven somewhere. It's like the pie in the sky um, that you can't enjoy the pie. It has no, it has no impact on your everyday uh, living. So spiritual here is referring to the fact that these flow from the Holy Spirit. They're coming through the Spirit. It's not saying these things are out there, they're spiritual rather than physical. God's The blessing that God has given us with every spiritual blessing will result in, in physical, uh, spiritual benefits in the future. But understand that, it, that it's spiritual, that it comes from the Spirit. It flows from the Spirit. So the, the word spiritual refers to the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur explains that spiritual refers to the source of the blessing. It's, it's of the Spirit. It's not of the earth, something that will perish. It's of the Spirit, something which is eternal and ongoing and much more, uh, um, much more enduring than anything here on earth. 
So the, the content of God's blessing is a spiritual blessing. And, and spiritual is much richer than anything physical. And you might think, well, I'd really like some physical blessing. Well, there, understand that Paul's not addressing the physical, the temporary here or now. Remember where he was when he was writing this? Prison. He was in prison. He was imprisoned in Rome. And yet he's saying, blessed be the God and Father who, of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So this blessing is spiritual. And, and if it can stir Paul to, to joy in the midst of being in prison, it can stir you to joy and praise of God, even in your difficult situation. This, this spiritual means it's not something that, that Rome can take away. It's not something your government can tax, thankfully. It's not something your government can take away. It's what God gives. Now, the extent of this blessing is it's every spiritual blessing. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Again, think of it as fullness. There's nothing good that he has withheld. The devil wants you to think that God's withheld something. That's what that's the kind of trick that he used with Eve. God has withheld. God's withholding something by telling you not to take of this other tree. God's withholding something from you. We understand God has not withheld anything good, anything that will result in a blessing to you. It, it's a fullness of blessing. I think a good way to, to understand this is to see a parallel text. If you would turn with me in, to Second Peter. Now, Peter doesn't, doesn't use the word blessing um, per se. But it is that. Second Peter chapter 1. Let's pick up in, in verse 3. Actually verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Notice what he says there in verse 3. See that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That's Peter's way of saying that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. Every. Not withhold anything. And, and so we see the extent of God's richness, of his rich and generous blessing. But then Paul gives us the location of that blessing. It's in the heavenlies. And again, here our minds, when we hear the word heavenlies, we think of the abode of God somewhere out there. There is a physical abode of God somewhere out there, but that's not what Paul is saying. And we're gonna, Paul is going to use this phrase in the heavenlies more than, more than once, but think of it as the, the domain of God. The domain of God. And where, where is God? The word domain means realm. What is the realm of God? Everywhere. It means his rule. God has dominion. That is, he has authority. He has power. There's nowhere you can go to flee from God. He is everywhere. So this blessing in the heavenly places doesn't mean that, oh, yeah, someday I'll experience it. Or something, you know, it's out, it's out there reserved for me in heaven. There, there, is a, there is an element of that. But what Paul is wanting us to understand is that this, this blessing in the heavenly places isn't just Again, something we think about that we'll access someday. No, it's it's reality now. And since God has dominion everywhere, 
that that reality then plays out everywhere. So it's not just something for future. Um, earthly blessings come and go, but the blessing of the heavenly places endures. If God calls you blessed and gives you blessing, then you'll be blessed. It's just the way it is. What God? No one resists God's will. Uh, one commentator helpfully noted that the blessings can be said to be in the heavenly realms, yet they are not viewed as a treasure stored up for future appropriation, but as benefits belonging to believers now, unquote. Think of that. These blessings, you're told about them here in Ephesians so that you can appropriate them now for for benefits now and, and impacting how you live and how you worship God. And Paul ends with this, that with the really what we call the justification for God's blessing. These blessings are not only in the heavenly places, but they are in Christ. In Christ. In the heavenly places. In Christ. So again, Christ has a physical body in heaven. Where that location is, we don't know. Because he's incarnate, that body is in one location. And yet because Jesus is God, he is not limited to heaven. Okay? So I cannot explain that to you, but scripture makes those things very clear. But the, the point of Paul is saying that these things flow to those who are in Christ. Paul is speaking here of a believer's union with Christ. When you're spoken of being in Christ, we're saying that you're, you're united with Christ by faith in him. Uh, biblical doctrine, the systematic theology, the, the big white one um, that I think uh, we have resource in the back. Biblical doctrine describes this union this way, and I'll just quote this. The, the union of Christ, it says, one of the most precious truths in all scripture is the doctrine of the believer's union with the Lord Jesus Christ. The concept of being united to Christ speaks of the most vital spiritual intimacy that one can imagine between the Lord and his people. While Christ relates to believers as Lord, Master, Savior, and Teacher, they are not merely associated with Christ as the object of his saving grace and love. That is not that Christians merely worship Jesus, obey him, or pray to him, though those surely, though surely those privileges would be enough. Rather, they are so intimately identified with him and he with them that scripture says they are united. He in them and they are in him. Scripture speaks of both, that we are Christ is in us and we are in Christ. Right? We don't become demigods, little gods. Don't, don't believe false teachers on some of that nonsense that just want to fill your head with um, inflated views of yourself so you'll send them money. You understand that God's rich blessing means that you are blessed in Christ. There's no other source of blessing. There's no other way for you to be blessed but in Christ. Now think about 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. By his doing, you are in Christ. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And as you, if you read through verses uh, 3 through 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, you'll see how many times Paul uses the phrase in him, in him, in him, in him, in Christ, or in the beloved. Right? It's just all throughout 
passage. So this shows us uh, God's justification for pouring out these blessings upon otherwise wretched sinners. We're going to talk about some of that when we get to Ephesians 2. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive through his grace. Um, so let's just, just pull back a minute and think about this. Let's try to apply, apply this to our lives. How does knowing this impact your life? How does knowing God's blessings impact how you relate to your spouse? How you go about your work? Um, how you relate to your children or deal with some kind of, of difficulty like your health failing? What helps you remain steadfast to do the right things? You're not loving your spouse just because it's beneficial to you. You're not loving your spouse because you have all the resources in yourself. You are loving your spouse because you know that God has loved you. And all the resources, all the spiritual resources are given to you for you to love your spouse even if they never love you in return. It, it, Christians, true Christians, have no excuse for divorce. And I, I say that with tenderness because I know some of you walk through that in different times of your lives. But there's no excuse for it. Why? You've been getting every spiritual blessing. But, but Pastor, you don't know how, how bad my husband is. How he treats me. No, you're right. I don't. I don't. But God does. And he's given you every spiritual blessing. He will nurture you. He will walk with you. He will help you. He will strengthen you. He will give you the help that you need to walk that path to glorify him and enjoy him forever. You might not ever enjoy your husband, but you will enjoy God as you seek to obey him. And my guess is that as you seek to obey him, Lord, work in your life and your husband's life where you will enjoy him. But that's not the point. How, how do you continue to, to love a, a disobedient child? You love them because you have all the resources in Christ to continue to love them, though they do everything to embarrass you and defy you and do things to harm you. You can continue to love that child and continue to try to minister to that child. And I'm speaking of an older child here. So you just love them and minister to them and reach out with the gospel to them because God has given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Sometimes we just get tired. We just think, I can't do this anymore. That's what I hear from people who want to go seek a divorce. I just can't do this anymore. Well, I understand that from an unbeliever. But for a Christian who has Christ, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Or as a parent, right? you're exasperated with a disobedient child. Tap into the resources that you already have in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you just apply this to different areas of your life. How do you do this? By going back to Scripture and remembering, Lord, you've given me. Go to Lord in prayer. Lord, you've given me every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And right now, I'm not feeling that. I need your strength. I need your help. I need you to help me walk to, to realize the blessings that I already have and, and uh, tap into them, appropriate them, and apply them so that I can glorify you in the practicalities of my everyday life. So this is how theology shapes how we walk. How you think about God, 
How you think about his blessings will shape the way that you live your everyday life with your spouse, with your children, with your co-workers, with your neighbors. So God wants you to appropriate these truths to your life. And, and I just want to want to just uh, plead with those who are not currently in Christ. There's some who are here this morning who have heard about Christ. You've heard the scriptures read. But you haven't appropriated Christ. You have not exercised saving faith in Christ. So I plead with you today, don't let the words that you hear just think, well, yeah, God's, God's blessed people out there. No, God is calling you to exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ today, to appropriate faith in him today. We're going to talk about in, in verse four that that he's chosen us. Right? But it's not your it's not your responsibility to figure out whether he's chosen you or not. Your duty is to believe and to believe today. And don't put that off until someday. Sometimes children can can say, well, that's they just kind of live in the shadow of their parents' faith. And they never really make a, a statement of faith in their own. I say a statement, I don't mean a necessarily a public proclamation, although that, that would follow it. What I mean is that internal, yes, Lord Jesus, you died for me. I believe that. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to walk in newness of life. Children need to appropriate that faith. The faith that God gives. And if and if you do that, then you will be in Christ and you will be given all these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places as well. But these understanding the spiritual blessings that God has given to believers will give you hope in very difficult situations when your business is failing or your health is failing. It will help give you strength to turn away from sinful temptations. You know, those lusts of the flesh that want to pull us away, that we want to pursue. Our body wants to pursue those. But when we realize the blessings that we've been given, those lusts of flesh uh, lose their power. So meditate on these things. Grow in appreciation of and praise for God that he's, that he's announced these blessings to you to help equip you to, to live for his glory and to enjoy him forever. Now, when Dwight L. Moody was saved at the age of 18, and, and most of you probably know he became a famous evangelist in the 1800s, and they later founded what was known as uh, Moody Church and Moody Bible Institute. But what you may not know is that when he was a young boy, his father died, and he had a very difficult life. His highest education was fifth grade. So... You, it's to say he had to say he had a hard life um, does, is not an understatement, or is not an overstatement of that. But he he said this um, after his father died, an old man met him and and asked about uh, young Moody's uh, home, and then laying his trembling, this is described by a biographer, and obviously relayed by Moody. He said that old man laid his trembling hand on him and told him that although he had no earthly father, his heavenly father loved him and he gave him a, a bright new scent. Now, you look at a scent on the ground and you probably walk by it nowadays, but a scent was worth more in those days and you wouldn't walk by that in difficult times. 
It was, though it wasn't a lot, it was something. As an adult, Moody reflected upon that experience. Um, he said this, I do not remember what became of that scent, but that old man's blessing has followed me for over 50 years. And to my dying day, I shall feel the kindly pressure of the hand upon my head. A loving deed cost very little, but done in the name of Christ, it will be eternal. Unquote. Just think about that. I mean, here's an old man. Probably didn't realize what he was doing. The encouragement he was providing. Didn't think he had much to give. If an old man's verbal blessing with just one, with one cent is some kind of token of that, impacted Moody for his entire life. How much more do you think the knowledge of God's blessing to you with a whole lot more than one cent is going to impact you? Do you see that? This, what, what the old man did for Moody was like a very small thing, but it impacted him for his whole life. What God has given you is a, is a massive big deal that should impact the rest of your life. So meditate on these truths. And purpose to remember these. Don't just let it go in one ear, not the other. Don't let refresh in your hand. You know, sometimes when you when you become familiar with a passage, it becomes oh hum. You must refresh these truths in your mind and as part of your worship to God. Decide today to regularly praise God for His blessing you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And and write the write it down if you have to. Take the verse. Some of you are memorizing Ephesians as we're going through that. That's great. Right? But at least write it, write it down. Take it with you. Make it part of your the fabric of your life. And allow the knowledge of these truths to elicit praise in you and to help you walk steadfastly with Christ, whatever your day might bring. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we what can we say in light of these things? We just praise you and exalt you. Lord, you are blessed. The blessed one, high, lifted up, exalted. The one who gives benefits to his people, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and yet you are undiminished. We just praise and exalt you, Lord God, for who you are and what you have done. Thank you for giving us all the spiritual blessings that we could ever need in Christ and done all for your glory. And for our good, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.